Hi, and thanks for downloading. I'll just do the normal introductions bit now. My name's Ancient Blogger, and you can find a lot of my content on ancientblogger.com, and I'm on Twitter, of course, at Ancient Blogger. Now, due to some weird family curse, I've been forced to podcast on Troy, Fall of a City, which is a BBC show and series you may be aware of. In, in these podcasts, I generally pick up points of interest, things I find, well, interesting, really. And I expand upon them in my podcast. It's not a direct review of each show, obviously, though it does include aspects of it. And I've recently found out that there's quite a few people downloading my podcast, which is great. It's not just my mum anymore. And some of these people aren't even watching the show, which is even better. So if you're one of those people, thanks very much for tuning in. That's very nice of you. And I thought I'd start by giving you a bit of a quiz, a bit of a, I suppose it's kind of listener interaction. And I'll start with... The text. I just want to read out a quotation. It's a, it's a part of the Iliad, and I'll ask you a question about it afterwards. So here we go with my best dramatic voice. Idomenus, counsellor of battlecraft at Cretans under arms, I came to see if any spear is left here I can use. I shattered mine now against Deophebus's shield. Not quite Rada standards just yet, and that was a chap called Meriones who was talking to. Idomenus, unsurprisingly. And what I want you to answer or think about, it's quite a lateral question. The question is, what's this got to do with episode four? Bit of a lateral one. You'll probably hate me when I read the answer out. So uh, I'm prepared for that. But anyway, I'll get to that at the end of the podcast because we've got quite a bit to cover this week. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Let's get to it. The title of the podcast, as you may well have seen, is Ant-Men and Beach Boys. Well, you could probably work out what the Beach Boys is all about. But the Ant-Men, perhaps not so. And by Ant-Men, I mean the Myrmidons, who were the force which Achilles brought across with him to Troy. According to the Iliad, there were 50 ships, each containing 50 soldiers, which set sail from Bithia, uh, which is Achilles' homeland. That's P-H-T-H-I-A. Yep, try pronouncing that for the first time. That's around 2,500 soldiers, if my abacus is correct. And you might want to know what the connection with ants is all about. Well, it's through their name. According to one myth, Zeus created the Myrmidons from a colony of ants. However, as the saying goes, why have one myth concerning the creation of ant-men population when you can have two? The alternative myth, which came in a bit later, sees the Myrmidons as named after ants through their king, that is, King Myrmidon. His association with ants was due to his mother being seduced by Zeus in the form of an ant. Now, I have no idea if any artist ever tried to depict this. Where we have painters such as da Vinci and Michelangelo recreating the seductions of Zeus, I think they missed a huge opportunity here. Surely, we must have had at least one Renaissance prince, or more likely a pope, unhinged enough to have made a commission with this as the subject. I also wonder if there was a bit of a joke amongst the Greeks at Troy. After all, you have... What is akin to one large beach picnic going on? Well, ants always seem to turn up at these. But perhaps perhaps the Myrmidons weren't ones to take a joke like that all too well. Achilles does sulk a bit, so if his men were anything like the same, then perhaps they just thought that joke rather than say it to them. A poorly executed joke does give me the opportunity to segue neatly into what was a main talking point of the show, the beach scene with Achilles and Patroclus. Even though the titles at the start of the show remind us that this show 
isn't an exact interpretation of the Iliad, there still seems to be a pattern of discontent which anchors on this expectation. So when Achilles and Patroclus kissed, imagine there were a few voices reminding us that this never happened in the Iliad. And that's true, it didn't. But the relationship between the two was well known, and this is possibly why it wasn't included in the Iliad, because it was just a given. Certainly the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus came to stand as a paragon for similar relationships in classical Greece between men. And the whole concept of sexuality in ancient Greeks is really a complex one, not something I can delve into too much here. Suffice to say that modern definitions don't map across particularly well. Recently, the History of Ancient Greece podcast did a very, very, very good episode, which yours truly did an intro to, and this sketched out quite a bit about how the sexual attitudes and sexual mores of the time were engaged with. And there's also a book I can recommend Another book, which again, non-commissioned, this one I actually bought myself, as with most of them, other ones are still on birthday and Christmas lists. It's called uh, Greek Love, and it's by James Davidson, and it deals with this subject extensively. And it's got quite a lot of interesting content in there. So, The beach scene did allow us to meet Briseis, who's the girl owned by Achilles, and she featured in a bit of a shared kiss with Patroclus and Achilles. I've got conflicting views on this. On the one hand, I understand the need to make Bryce's important to Achilles. So introducing her this way positions her as a sort of intimate companion. However, a main reason for Achilles' fury with Agamemnon when he takes Bryce's away from him isn't purely because he has this intimate relationship with her. Part of the heroic code was the importance of won prizes and possessions. In theory, what could spite Achilles would be to take any possession he had or demand it from him. Agamemnon is forced to give up crisis and therefore feels his importance or glory or ego has been diminished in front of his men. The way Agamemnon seeks to redress this balance or loss is to take from Achilles, to take from another. It's a sort of sum zero game. Now this is part of the heroic code that's actually driven Agamemnon to act in this way. So it's feasible that the code would make similar demands of Achilles. Rather than take from someone else, though, Achilles removes himself from the fighting. Why not allude more to the heroic code as a driving reason behind Achilles' decision and and not so much because he took someone he liked away from him? And here lies one criticism I do have of the show. The network of morals and codes important to the story have largely been ignored or left to sit in the background, and I think there was a great chance to unwrap these a little and introduce them to a wider audience. Paris's abduction of Helen and the reaction to it sat as much within the context of Xenia than romance. Xenia being the Greek concept of either hosting or being a good guest, sort of guest friendship. Menelaus doesn't seem to love Helen as, as much as you might think, so it's not about two lovers quarrelling over, over a single person. The dispute is set and couched within this whole idea of Xenia, that the Paris was a very, very exceptionally bad guest by stealing from Menelaus. And I think missing out on these social drivers takes something away from the story. And it wouldn't really be that hard to, to, to have got across. The show could have offered an insight to the sort of social paradigms which Homer presents to us. So it could have educated people a bit more to them all. And I, again, I, I think that was just a bit of a missed opportunity. Sort of relying on more traditional tropes of romance diminishes that opportunity. These codes and expectations run through the narrative. The upcoming negotiations between Agamemnon and Achilles, where Agamemnon will attempt to to get him back into the fight, is a major plotline, and the heroic code informs the position of each character in this. 
if it's dealt with how I expect, then I'll, I'll go more to this into in a, in a later podcast. This is very interesting. Not ant seduction levels of interesting, but you, know, you can't have everything. But it wasn't just Achilles and Patroclus who rolled round in the sand for a bit and got sand between their toes. There was, of course, the duel between Paris and Menelaus. In the Iliad, it's a pivotal moment, and through this event, we get a greater understanding of the various factions at play. This is one instance where, having reread the encounter, it's in Book 3 of the Iliad, I picked on up on something I'd never really noticed. Prior to the duel, there's a line which reads, They took up two tokens in a bronze helm, shaking it to see which man would cast his weapon first. Hector then swells the tokens round, whilst not looking at them, because he's a fair, upstanding chap, and the token which falls out is Paris. What this suggests, this trial by combat had an added element to it. There was a sort of protocol as to who had the first throw of the spear, or throw their weapon. And I wonder if this was some sort of common feature. Though it's obviously given as an important advantage, it doesn't pan out exactly how each fighter is expected. The fight itself takes on a bit of a farcical tone. Paris throws his spear, and it bounces off Menelaus' shield, who himself is a bit luckier. His spear passes through Paris's shield, and those familiar with the accounts of death in the Iliad recognise this as normally having one outcome. Yet Paris manages to dodge the spear as it passes through the shield. Menelaus is having one of those days at the office. Next up, he strikes Paris on the helmet with his sword, and surely this will result in Paris's death, and everyone making their way home. But, no, the sword shatters. In fairness, bronze weapons were a bit weak, and prone to bending or breaking, but this does seem harsh. So far, Paris has dodged two bullets, even if they're bronze ones, and Menelaus even has the classic moan at Zeus about his bad luck. But then he decides to take the situation, literally, into his own hands, Grabbing Paris by the helmet, he pulls him along the floor and back towards his men. The chin strap is evidently strangling Paris until Aphrodite makes it snap. Deciding that she may as well get fully involved, Aphrodite then spirits Paris back to Troy. It's rare that you feel sorry for Menelaus, but here's one such incident. I remember reading that the hanging was a form of execution reserved for women in archaic and classic Greece, and if so, I wonder if Homer is commenting on Paris further. Here's a man who doesn't deserve to die like a man in battle, and instead comes closest to being killed in a manner more suited to how a woman might have been executed. If so, then his escape being provided by a goddess adds a further layer to all of this, and a bit more of a comment. If you thought that Paris' escape ramped up the bitterness in the Greek camp, then it goes one step further up in Olympus, where it causes Zeus to allow Hera and Athena to get their ivory-white hands a bit dirty. It's not without a condition, Zeus will allow them to do this, as long as they don't stop him the next time he wants to demolish a city. Another hallmark moment there, if only the Old Testament had a spare position for another deity. Back on Earth, the two sides are not really sure what to do next, but Athena stirs the pot and causes a Trojan archer to loosen arrow at Menelaus, which strikes him. At that point, there was still a truce in effect between the two sides, and this simply causes everything to really kick off. As bad days go, it puts any office photocopier-related frustration firmly in its place. With a bit more luck, Menelaus might have ended it all much earlier. But when you start out by losing a 50-50 toss of a to coin or a token, perhaps you realise it's just Monday, even if you're on the beach. And there we have it. I've just got a couple more things. The first that the questioner asked at the beginning. The answer is that a bit involving Idomeneus marks the halfway point in Iliad. Just as episode 4 marks the halfway point in the series. I should add, this was done with very, very basic numbers. The assumption is that the Iliad is composed of around 15,693 lines, 
and this line or this part sits in the middle around the 7846th line yeah okay i know but it is a free podcast after all isn't it the other point is a bit of a lesson to us all when i heard cilicia being mentioned i immediately thought of the region usually associated with pirates and later on with pompey and pompey getting rid of pirates well cilicia thebe was a city located near troy which allied with it finally a shout out to a couple of people thanks to sarah hughes at Sarah J. Hughes for a weekly blog on in the Guardian. And secondly, thanks to Janelle Rhiannon at The Raven Angel for just being nice about listening to this, even though she isn't watching it. I'll be watching this on Saturday, the hashtag being Troy Fall of a City. So if you've got no sort of social life like me, then feel free to join us. As it's close to the Ides of March, I've got a vlog on my website, ancientblogger.com, where I give an overview of the Pugio, the weapon most likely used to stab Caesar. So why not sit down with the family and enjoy five minutes of me holding a weapon? Can't get better than that. Anyway, again, I'm at Ancient Blogger. Website is ancientblogger.com. Find all my links to my various bits and bobs on there. Until next week, take care and keep safe. Infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me!